This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode six. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com slash horrified to start your free trial now. Happy listening! Hello, everyone. Hey, folks. Welcome to episode 51 of I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified, a podcast for when you're driving, when you're standing, when you're sitting down. Yes. When you're um, having a bad day, having a good day. When you're laying down, because you can't take it. Yep. When your children are just being difficult Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I should just leave them somewhere. Or when your parents just don't understand. Both of those situations. (laughs) Um, and going- hey, maybe you and your mom are both listening to I'm Horrified today. And maybe this is going to bring you together. Oh, I hope so. Oh, God, I doubt it. <laughs> so, uh, however you find us, we're glad you're here. Um, today we're going to be discussing some awful things. Obviously, that's our brand. If you came on here not looking for that, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> um, Sam, I'm going to talk today about something Awful. And we always say this, and I always find a new meaning for that word, um, and it's the USS Indianapolis disaster. Uh, I'm so, I know nothing about this. So I can't believe you don't know anything about it. I Maybe really you do if I, I do. jog your memory. That's true. Sometimes I say that, and then like halfway through your episode, I'm like, oh. Oh, right. And what are you going to talk about, Sam? I'm going to talk about novels based on fan fiction. Yes. I love a literary niche. I love it. And I'm going to keep talking about them today. The only one that I can think of is... Um, Fifty Shades. That's the I, I talk about. It, it's the famous one. Yeah, and a little less known, Harry Potter. Really? That yeah. one I didn't know. No, Harry Potter is based off of My Immortal. You motherfucker. <laughs> the the reason why Sam's not laughing at that is because she fully fully believed me when I just said that. Yeah, because I'm a trusting <laughs> good friend, and when my friends tell me things, Allie does this to me a lot. You guys. Oh my god. Is she? <laughs> Just says something confidently, and I'm like, yeah, she's right, that's true. You and then, trust my tone. Yeah, and then you look me dead in the eye, and you're like, I'm a liar, and I forget it. The next day, <laughs> I wake up like a newborn baby who's never been hurt before. Like, oh, she's not a liar. No, it's just, I wish you could have seen her face, like, why would you do that to me on air? Uh, but it's for all of you. It's a gift I give unto you. Um, so do you want me to make you feel worse? Are you I, ready? I don't know how you could, but yes. Are you ready? Um, yes, please. I want to hear about this bad boat. I'm it's assuming. a boat. It's a yeah. boat. Um, so today we're talking about some classic horrifying shit. We've got war. Whoa. We've got shipwrecks. Uh oh. We've got sharks. No. We've got the fracture of the human spirit. Absolutely. Um, and we're just like we're covering it today, honey. I'm all right? excited. Um, and it's a real throwback to our first episode on the deep ocean, mm. in that we are delving nice and deep into my greatest fears. Yes, absolutely. Um, and this whole situation is like shot by shot, mm-hmm. my worst nightmare. Oh God. Um, so some historical context for you: the USS Indianapolis was a heavy cruiser in the U.S. Navy, built in 1929 mm-hmm. and first launched in 1931. Uh, its nickname was Indy. And there's a lot of information that you can go find uh, specific to the nature of this ship that I didn't really understand. Like, its hull symbol is CA-35, and 
the vessel served as the flagship for the commander of Scouting Force One for eight years. Okay. Um, so if you're an active or former member of the U.S. Navy, <laughs> please tell me what that means. I'm imagining them tweeting it as like, you guys missed the most interesting part. And yeah. It's, the mess hall. it's like on the starboard, they had a <laughs> maximum. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what that means. Um, so, yeah, uh, the ship like swam around and did its thing during World War Two. And then eventually in March of 1945, it got hit by a kamikaze fighter pilot and killed nine people, damaging the ship slightly. So it got pulled into California for repairs. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is March of 1945. So the war is pulling into a close. She's a happy. But something very important is about to happen um, that's kind of related to this. So most of the sailors at this point are like, cool, probably, you know, I'm docked. The war is going to be over soon. Maybe I'll, like, get to go home. That would be great. Wouldn't that be nice? Big nope. So the ship's being repaired, and all of a sudden, the admiral of whatever, I don't, I didn't get his name, tells the captain, Captain Charles B. McVeigh, that they've got a super serious, super secret mission right now. Oh, God. Um, so the captain goes to all the sailors, and he's like, get in, losers. We're going to Japan. Um, <laughs> and what the Navy didn't tell the captain, or the skipper, I should say, that means captain, Oh, Skipper means captain? I think so. I think so. I thought Skipper, Skipper was under captain. Is it? I don't know. I'm thinking about uh, Gilligan's Isle. Is there a captain and a skipper? I believe there is. Let's do it right now. Let's do it live on the air. What does this mean? The captain of a shipper boat. But I think in the Gilligan's Isle theme song, excuse me, folks. <laughs> <laughs> like the captain and skipper? Yeah. What about the captain just... and Tennille? Uh, love them. <laughs> Okay, no, I guess I can be wrong. Aboard this tiny ship, the mate was a mighty sailing lad, the skipper brave and sure. So it's the mate and the skipper. Oh, it's talking about the same guy. Because I think Gilligan is the mate. So it's with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Marianne. They don't talk about the captain. So the captain must be the skipper. Must be the skipper. All right, confirmed. Good, guys. We solved it. All right, so we'll see you next week. (laughs) See you next week on Um, our Gilligan's Isle fan fiction podcast. I would recommend that everybody tap out now. (laughs) It it just gets really bleak from here on out. So uh, Skips McGee, Charles B. McVeigh, you know, he's told, it's very secret. We can't tell you what it is. They're going to Japan. Right. But what they didn't tell him or anyone else on the ship is that what they were carrying was the uranium core of the newly invented atomic bomb. Oh. Yeah, big... Ooh. Oh, I would have liked uh, to know that. Yeah, no, I would have liked for them to tell me. So <laughs> the this particular bomb was the bomb that was going to be detonated um, in Hiroshima. Um, and here's where I take a, just a quick time out to say... That in the days and weeks following the atom bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, more than 200,000 people died. And, like, countless generations of human beings have been influenced by this act of war. Of all the things I'm about to discuss, shark or otherwise, that's the most horrifying one. But that's just, like, a far more serious episode yeah. that I'll do that's on a weeks different, from now. That's on a different Um, app. Today is for sharks. <laughs> today for sharks. Tomorrow, tomorrow for, for bombs. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's what's happening. They, no one knows what they're carrying, but all they know is that it's a very secret mission, so hardly anyone knows that they're out on the water. Yeah. Um, they can't talk about it. They can't tell people that they're leaving. And they're all like, gee, I wonder what this thing is that we're, we really have to get to Japan, like, <laughs> oh, right God. away. Um, Clarence Hirschberger, a sailor on the ship, is quoted as saying, 
quote, rumors started flying all over the place. Wagers were being made and everybody was betting on what the crate contained. They were wagering it was anything from a new type of airplane engine to scented toilet paper for General MacArthur. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, haha, that's so funny. I wonder what happens now. It was now. a bomb. <laughs> it was a bomb. Um, so, th- you know, that actually, that's where that kind of starts and stops. They deliver the core to Tinian. And they start heading back home. So like, oh. nothing else happens with that. I assumed we were about um, to get some atomic sharks and up in No, here. nothing like that. So great. Um, nothing else in this story happens with that. Um, they were told as they were on this mission that the Japanese army was very weak and didn't pose much of a threat because they'd lost so many men. Yeah. And little did they know that Japanese Lieutenant Commander Mochitsura Hashimoto, who's a very famous lieutenant mm-hmm. commander in that army, was very nearby and tracking them and just like i want to get another win in yeah as this war is ending like he just really really wanted to Mm -hmm. get one more and i get that (laughs) you know one for the gipper if you i know so on july 30th hashimoto and his crew fired six torpedoes at the uss indianapolis and two torpedoes hit them in succession the first hit the starboard bow, and I won't pretend to know where on the ship that is, and killed about 30 men instantly. Oh. And the second, more devastatingly, hit amidships, which means in the middle of the ship. I got that. I, I thought that, but I Googled it, and that's apparently <laughs> what that means. More importantly, uh, that ignited the aviation fuel storage, causing immediately massive explosions and fires. Oh, my God. So, for reference, the Titanic took about two hours and 40 minutes to sink. Mm-hmm. The USS Indianapolis went down in 12 minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's fast. Um, like, Titanic was bigger, but 12 minutes is very fast. Yeah. <laughs> so there were about 1,200 soldiers on board, and 300 went down and died immediately um, with the ship. And from what I am about to describe, they are better off than a lot of people in this situation. Oh, my God. Um, they were 280 miles from land when they sunk. So let's just, all right, let's recap. Okay. Uh, 12 minutes are over. <laughs> where where are we? Um, we've got 900 men mm-hmm. floating in the open ocean. Debris and fuel are everywhere. Perfect. So fuel has leaked into huge puddles. Like, you can't even see water. All you see is dark oil, basically. Love it. Um, is everywhere. And it just so happens that this particular part of the ocean is riddled with sharks. All types of sharks. There's hundreds of them everywhere. And within that first half hour, they start seeing them swimming around. But, I mean, sharks, I'm sure, can't swim through oil. So I bet the oil saves them. Got it. And, uh... You totally got it. Great, let's move on to uh, fanfiction novels. Yeah, you can actually climb on top of the oil. <laughs> it's fine. But um, only one of you can fit on top of the oil, so then yeah. the other of you has to sacrifice their life. Very moisturizing for the skin. Sink to the bottom of the ocean. Hundreds of people died. Oh, <laughs> we're talking God. about it this no. way. Um, I mean, I know we're already going to hell, so it's kind of like all bets are off at this point. Yeah. Um. So, would you like some first-hand accounts? Let's just throw it over to first-hand accounts, because then I'm not. I'm no longer responsible for what I say for a Absolutely. while. Absolutely. Let me t- let me hear them. Um. So, Paul McGinnis, Signalman Third Class. This is what he saw. While I was completely coherent, this was my thought. Keep struggling and stay alive. It was very miserable because of the sun burning the skin. One oh. could not escape it. It was like having a head, your head in the hole. Ugh. It was like having your head in a hole in the middle of a mirror with all this sunlight being reflected and burning your face. So hot, it was miserable like hell. You couldn't wait for the sun to go down. When the sun went down, it was a relief. 
Then it would get cold and you would start to shiver and you couldn't wait for the sun to come back up. Oh my god. Awful. <laughs> Just awful. Uh, Granville Crane, um, machinist mate, second class, said, Men began drinking salt water so much that they were delirious. In fact, a lot of them had weapons like knives and they'd be so crazy that they'd be fighting amongst themselves and killing one another. Oh my god. And then there'd be others that drank so much salt water that they were seeing things. They'd say, the Indy is down below and they're giving out fresh water and food in the galley. And they'd swim down and a shark would get them. <gasps> and you could see the sharks eating your comrades. <gasps> oh my god. No, thank you. Eugene Morgan, Boatswain's mate, second class said all the time the sharks never let up we had a cargo net that had styrofoam things attached to keep it afloat there were about 15 sailors on it and suddenly 10 sharks hit it and there was nothing left this went on and on oh my god so like other various accounts are like you'd all just kind of be swimming around like kind of hurtled together like you know people would form packs to hold on to each other Mm -hmm. to try to get the sharks away and you just hear a blood curdling scream and then you just see a life jacket that's it Ugh. Um, that's horror movie shit. It's so horror movie shit. So it's like choose your own adventure. Like, do you want your tongue to swell up so much that you can't close your mouth because of dehydration? That happened. Great. Do you want to suffer from severe desquamation, which I learned about, which is when your skin just like falls off because of extended exposure to salt water? Oh. No, thank you. But that happened. Do you want a shark to eat you? Classic. Do you want your friend to kill you with a knife because he thinks you're a shark? <laughs> yes. You know? I, I could gotta go on. Here's, here's what I gotta be honest. If I had to pick one of those, I would want you to kill me with a knife because you were so crazy. It's just more personal. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a story. You know what I mean? Well, either think you're a shark or I think you're like a sandwich. Yeah. And you I'm like, eat me. get over here. Murder you. You cut me in half in little triangles. Yeah. <laughs> God. It's like, I'm still gonna do the triangle cut because I'm not a monster. <laughs> so many people died. Uh, so many people died. So many people died. How long were they in the ocean? Uh, we're getting, we're getting there. No. Um. Never mind. I didn't um, that question. Uh, so all in all, these men float out here for three whole days. For three days? Yep. <gasps> yeah. So a lot of people end up just diving into the water and being like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fully done. Yeah. Um, and then after like three and a half days of absolute misery, most people are dead. Like the dead outnumber the living at this point. Um. Planes passing by pick them up and are able to, like, they come and land in the water, which Mm -hmm. is very dangerous. Like, a lot of people risk their lives to save as many people as they did. And eventually, 317 men are pulled out of the water alive. 317 live? Out of 1,300. I mean, that's, like, not a good ratio, but at the same time, like... like, how did they live? How did anyone live? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, How many sharks were in the water? Tell me that. Because they were saying, like, you'd look down and you'd see, like, a sea of sharks. Oh, God. What bullshit? <laughs> um, so why did it take that long? Yeah. Why did no one come looking for them? I shall let Wikipedia tell you, as I often do. Yes. The headquarters in Guam and the soldiers in the Philippines where they were headed kept Operation Plotting Boards on which were plotted positions of all the vessels with which the headquarters were concerned. So mm-hmm. they had, like, a plot of where all the ships were at all times, in theory. However, it was assumed that ships as large as Indianapolis would reach their destinations on time unless otherwise reported. What do you mean otherwise? Like, who would report that yeah, if you all went the, down? They're in the middle of the ocean. But that's the thing. It's, like, so weird that that would happen. Yeah. Like, they weren't thinking about that. Therefore, their positions were based on predictions and not on reports. On July 31st, when the ships should have arrived in the Philippines, Indianapolis was removed from the board in the headquarters of Commander Marianas. 
She was also recorded as having arrived in the Philippines by the headquarters of Commander Philippine Sea Frontier. Lieutenant Stuart B. Gibson, the operations officer under the port director, was the officer responsible for tracking the movements of the Indianapolis. The vessel's failure to arrive on schedule was known at once to Gibson, who failed to investigate the matter and made no immediate report of this fact to his superiors. So he was just like, it's probably fine. So like half of the people were like, they're probably there. And half of the people were like, where are they? (laughs) But didn't tell anyone. That's a nightmare. So it was like 17 different people's faults. But this is, this came as a surprise to me. Most of the blame was placed on the captain. Um, so that Captain McVeigh, who we mm-hmm. had talked about before. So even though he was one of the last people to abandon the ship, he was, like, calling for help the whole time. They court-martialed him with hazarding the ship, which I think means something like he didn't do a good enough job of keeping everybody safe. Like, he didn't prepare enough or do the right thing. He was too reckless, and mm-hmm. he, he hazarded the ship. Um... But many of the survivors said, no, like, they threw us into the ocean and yeah. didn't tell us what to expect. He's our captain. He's part, he's one of us. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we don't blame him. We blame you, mm-hmm. <laughs> is basically what a lot of the survivors said. Um, and so, this is so sad to me. Eventually, McVeigh was cleared of all charges from the army, but he never recovered from the guilt he felt oh. over what had happened. Like, he believed himself that it was his fault. Of course. And some of the families, there were a lot of families of the people who died, obviously, um, harassed him mm-hmm. and were like, you know, you killed our son. Like, Ugh. you know what I mean? He got a Christmas card once that said, Merry Christmas. Our family's holiday would be a lot merrier if you hadn't killed my son. And it's like, I get it. But don't, why do that? You write that, do you know what I mean? You like, write he that was Christmas in the, card and then you put it in your drawer. Yeah, you write that Christmas card, you read it to your therapist, and then you burn it. Like, yeah. that's health. Um, but, yeah, and it's like, he was in the shark bath with them. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, so, very sadly, he took his own life in 1968, oh. and he was holding a toy sailor in his hand when that happened, which oh. I just sound, it's, my heart is broken. Like, it's this very sort of sad dot on the eye of the Indianapolis. Yeah, it's horrible. And it is still to this day, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the largest loss of life um, from a single ship in U.S. naval history. Wow. Um, so to quickly end on a slightly happier note, I wanted to share the story of Edgar Harrell, a survivor of the disaster who chronicled his story in his book, Out of the Depths. He was dedicated to exposing why things had gone so terribly wrong in the aftermath of the sinking, and he wanted to exonerate his captain, you know, for posterity. Uh, And the Indy Star wrote a story about him in which they say, Harold and many of his fellow survivors went on with their lives, drawing strength from their faith, family, and friends. Forgiveness came. Last year, Harold held on his lap the great-granddaughter of Lieutenant Hashimoto, the commander of the Japanese submarine I-58 that sank the USS Indianapolis. The baby smiled at him, and Harold had tears in his eyes. Um, and this weekend, Edgar and Ola Harrell were here with their son, grandson, and great-grandson in the embrace of a few remaining survivors and their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Now, Harrell says, the important thing is to, that the story is told. The true story. Wow. So, yeah, that's the story of the USS Indianapolis. And that's just proof that, like, um, I'm probably the first person who's ever going to say this and have this thought. Mm. But, like, war is hell. Oh. Um, I know. That's Put that on a bag. But I thought it was patriotism? Yeah. I'm confused. But just, like, the idea that this man could, like, be holding in his arms, like, the mm-hmm. great-grandchild of the man who, like, caused the worst thing in his life ever. Yes. 
Like, because it's not them. It's not the people. It's the system. It's, like, yeah. the war machine. And systems are made of people. Yeah. So it's, like, when you break it down, there is that there is that innocence of, you know, children and fathers and mothers and families and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. how did we get here from there? Ugh. Um, Yeah, it's... It's horrific. Um, fun fact, the how, way that I... How fun are we talking? It's pretty fun. Uh, the way that I learned about this story, and the way I bet a lot of people have heard about it, is because there's a scene from the movie Jaws. Oh. In which there's... So there's, like, three guys. There's mm-hmm. the Captain head Boy. of police, uh-huh. um, who's, like... God, Cape Cod's, I mean, it's not Cape Cod, but it's Cape Cod. Yeah. Um, like, Cape Cod's run amok with sharks. I gotta do something. And then there's the scientist boy, mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> um, who's weirdly attractive to me in that movie. And he's, like, objectively not attractive, but I don't know, I don't know why he does it for me. Yeah. Um, so he's there, like, I know all about sharks and their biology, so I'll come along as well. And then there's, like, the haggard old sea yes. man. Um, who does the thing where he scratches on the chalkboard and is yeah. like, I'll catch your fish. <laughs> um, and so there's a very famous scene in the movie where they're, like, in the ship and they're trying to find the shark and he's like, I was on the Indianapolis when it went down. What? And, like, there were sharks everywhere and you'd, like, lean over to your mate and he'd be cut in half and like, oh my just, god it's like a, i'm not doing it justice it's a very famous scene but um yeah and then he like i it's a good it's a good scene it's a good like monologue yeah. it's a cool piece of writing but i call total bullshit on the idea that anyone who survived the oasis in indianapolis would ever go look for a shark i know like who would do that i would never get back on a ship i'd be like i'll stick to land. After hearing this, I don't want to get on a boat. Yeah. I didn't want to get on a boat before I talked about this. Oh, God. Why don't people listen to me? I say to everyone here <laughs> who's come to listen to me. Um, but, yeah. So I just think that that's funny. So the end of that movie is him, like, fully in... I mean, spoilers for Jaws. Somebody gets eaten by it. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and he's, like, in the shark's mouth. And he's like, ah! Yes. So it's a poetic ending. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's USS Indianapolis, a great tragedy. That's awful. Why would you tell me about not that? Not too I'm far horrified. off. It's not that, like, and it's, like, now we're getting dangerously close because, like, when we talk shit about, like, you know, the Romanovs being, well, that wasn't even that long ago either. We're no. just bad people, objectively. Time is relative. I guess. Um, I'm about to talk shit about a bunch of people who are just in their 30s. Hey, y'all. My name's Alicia. I'm Stacy. And we make Trashy Trashy Divorces. Divorces. It's a good podcast about bad relationships. Every week we bring you two stories of love gone wrong. And people who really should know better behaving very, very badly. It's a fun way to cut some powerful people down to size. Or take a second look at stories and scandals that defined a time. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or on the web at TrashyDivorces.com. New episodes every Sunday. Subscribe now and never miss a garbage day. Let's get into it. <laughs> Sam, uh, tell me what you have to, to, to say. Yes. Um, so a couple weeks ago, you guys heard me talk about my love of romance novels. Yes. And I stand by that. Like, fight me now, whenever. Whenever's good for you. <laughs> um, she, she means it. I'm ready. Um, but there's a very small su- subsection of, like, literature and in a couple ways, like, romance novel literature that I feel iffy about. And they are stories 
that start as fan fiction and then morph into actual novels. Mm. hmm So this sounds very specific, but it has actually happened enough times that I really want to break it that down That it for warrants you. a whole conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the first one I want to talk about is the most recent one and the one that made me, like, decide to do it for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about a story called After? No. No. Yeah, no. I hadn't heard about it either until this thing happened. So, it's called After. It's by a woman named Anna Todd. Or, as she was known on popular Gen Z fanfiction site Wattpad, Imaginator 1D. Mmm, 1D. So Imaginator 1D Big posts a story on Wattpad. <gasps> oh my god, you just gave me a little wink. In 2013. <gasps> What's gonna happen? About an 18-year-old college fres- freshman named Tessa, who is quickly corrupted when she meets the school's hottest bad boy. That bad boy? Harry Styles. No! No. Yes, this is a three-book no. series of alternate universe One Direction fanfiction. No. It is wild. Um, here's the description from Wattpad. Tessa Young is an 18-year-old college student with a simple life, excellent grades, and a sweet boyfriend. She always has things planned out ahead of time until she meets a rude boy named Harry with too many tattoos and piercings who shatters her plans. I... Uh, I uh, I don't want to continue. <laughs> We're gonna. I know I just told you about men being eaten alive by sharks, but I don't want to talk about this. This is where you draw the line. <laughs> so I've read a few chapters of this. It's still on Wattpad in its, like, original form, which is rare. And Harry Styles is, like, not a good dude in the context of this story. Like, people compliment it because it's like, this is so raw and real. Like, this is what love is really like. But it's just, like, mostly him being a total dick to her. She looks down on everybody who's not a virgin. And then they fuck. Like, that's the whole three book series. Gross. And here's an excerpt um, from the book, Their First Meeting, um, where she is, like, just meeting her roommate as well. And I had to... Wattpad will not let you copy-paste. So I fully had to screenshot this. And it's a screenshot of this story. This is what you used to do for Fifty Shades. Yeah. When we were reading it in, in college. Oh, yeah. We read it a lot in college. Okay. Come in, my new roommate yells. The door opens and two boys walk inside before she finishes her greeting. Boys inside the female dorms on the first day? Maybe Washington State was a bad decision. I assume by the pained expression covering my mother's face, she is thinking the same. The poor woman looks like she may pass out at any moment, and I wouldn't blame her. Hey, you Steph's roomie, the blonde boy asks. He doesn't have as many tattoos as the other boy, but he does have them. Hair bear. Um, yeah, my name is Tessa, I managed to say. I'm Niall. <laughs> Don't look so nervous. No. It throws people off. It's not Niall. So Niall Horan has just entered the story. Niall. No, no. The, the blonde Irish direction. Do you know what? I'm in, de- I'm in denial. <laughs> <laughs> you hate it. If there's not a Wattpad story called In Denial, I'm over that's it. About <laughs> that's, in a, that's about somebody penetrating. penetrating. <laughs> we both went to the same place right away. All right. Um, All right. All right. He says with a smile, reaching out to touch my shoulder, you'll love it here. His smile is warm and inviting despite his harsh appearance. Jesus. I'm ready, guys, Steph says. Steph is um, Tessa's roommate, and she is big uh, slut. a big skank. Got it. Uh, grabbing her thick black bag from the bed. My eyes shift to the tall, brown-haired boy leaning up against the wall. His hair is a mop of waves on his head, pushed back from his forehead, and he has metal in his eyebrow and lip. My <laughs> eyes travel down his black t-shirt to his arms, which are covered in tattoos as well. Not an inch of untouched skin is seen. I expect him to introduce himself, but he doesn't. Instead, he rolls his eyes in annoyance and pulls a cell phone 
from the pocket of his tight black jeans. He definitely isn't as friendly as his blonde friend. He sounds unpleasant. Yeah, no, he sounds like... And then the next time they meet, he's in their room, and she's just coming from the communal shower, and she's like, can you leave my room? I'm gonna change. And he's like, I'm not gonna look. And I'm like, get out of her room! That's fucking weird. (laughs) That's gross. So I'm pro-fanfiction in general. Why am I anti this story? I find that, like, as soon as you're writing fanfiction about real people, things get a little dicey. Oh, yeah. Like, do whatever you want with Edward Cullen, but Harry Styles is a real man. Yeah, he's a human person. Yeah, he exists in this world. And this story, like, is literally portraying him as emotionally abusive. Yeah, you can't just pretend somebody's an abuse. Like, it's it's bad enough to romanticize abuse. Yeah. Don't make it a person. <laughs> Don't make it Harry Styles. Then, this book gets picked up by Simon & Schuster, and it is now a five-book series all about um, Tessa, and they had to change Harry Styles, obviously, so now the guy's name is- Barry Styles. It's um, Harden Scott. Oh, come on. So they're like- They they dropped the the best opportunity. (laughs) How dare they? Um, And now, here's even the next level and why I thought of it. They're making it into a movie. That's fucked up. Yeah, so literally, like, there's no way at this, like, when it's just a story on Wattpad that you wrote, mm-hmm. you know, fine, fuck it, whatever. Harry Styles definitely knows about this now because it's a movie, <laughs> like. And I bet they're gonna, like, kind of make him Harry Styles-like. Yeah. That's the idea. And he's written to be Harry Styles. Like, he's written to be a brunette guy with lots of tattoos, and he's British, and he this and that, like. He's written to be Harry Styles. I don't know what you can do in the movie. Maybe to make he really him... wants to be cast, though. Oh my god! What if he was it's like, not... "I'm gonna sign on to the project." Oh my god! Do you want to watch the trailer? I want to watch it after. Okay, we'll watch. Unless it's part. You of You want to watch it after? <gasps> <laughs> All right, I'm hooked. So that's after. Now, moving back in time a little bit, I'm going to talk about the mortal instruments. And Wait, Allie, what? I'm wondering if you remember one of the best days of my life. The, oh my god. Do you want me to tell it? Do you want to tell it? I will start to tell it and then you can fill yeah, in. Yeah, all right. It was probably sophomore year of college. Yep. You, me, and our good friend Dylan McCullum of the Power Strangers podcast. Yeah, and uh, Hero Club. And Hero Club. Um, we're looking for something to do. And I was like, hey, this kind of crappy book I read got turned into a movie. Do you guys want to see it? Yes. And so we bought tickets to see The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, on the big screen in the Boston Common yep. uh, AMC. A very crowded area that's usually a very full <laughs> movie theater. And we were the only three people in the theater. That, I just remember the process of, like, the previews start rolling. And yeah. like, oh my god, it's so weird, no one's here. And then it's like, all right, the feature presentation, we're like, nobody, nobody is here. <laughs> like, we, no one's here. Like, is no one going to be here the whole time? Yeah. And we were all just getting so excited, like, at the prospect that we would just be able to loudly shit talk this movie fully the entire time, um, was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that's one of the best days of my life. Yeah, so we just loudly shit talked that hot garbage film. It was amazing. And it was amazing. It was amazingly horrible. What would you say if I told you that that movie and the books upon which it was based began its life as Harry Potter fan fiction. Harry Potter fan fiction? It's absolutely Harry Potter fan oh, fiction. Oh, I was, I was like, I can't, at first when you said Mortal Instruments, I was like, I can't believe this is fan fiction. Like, what would it be fan fiction of? And then I was like, I mean, I guess some other weird sci-fi, sci-fi movie or fantasy movie. It's fantasy. Fantasy book. I can't believe that. I yes. cannot believe that. Who was, 
whom? So. Who's whom? Uh, Cassandra Clare is the name of this author, and sh- her Immortal Instruments series is based on a Harry Potter fanfic she wrote from 2000 to 2006 called The Draco Trilogy. Oh, oh. And it was a three-book series in which Draco was, like, part of the team, but really snarky, and he wore leather pants, and there's, like, a love triangle, uh, and it's wild. Um, so for those of you who... I'll just answer this question for you now, so... Draco is the main guy, Jace, in the Mortal Instruments That's series. That's why he's blonde, I guess. That's why he's blonde. Um, Who's the human, or not the human girl, but like the girl who doesn't know she has powers? Uh, Ginny. Ginny Weasley. Ew, weird. And they like hook up. Yeah. Uh, and then they're brother and sister. <laughs> is this an incest fanfic? I don't know. It's I wild. Can't. All I know is it's wild. Um, the great thing about this is that, like, there was a lot of drama around this woman in the Harry Potter fanfiction world, uh, that I'm going to talk about for a second. Basically, her fanfics were really popular and totally blew up, um, but people realized that big chunks of her dialogue were taken from, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Babylon 5 and, like, out-of-print fantasy what? series. Yeah. How did that even fit in anywhere? So she, well, because everyone's so snarky. So- Got it. So, literally, she was, like, outed uh, for, like, plagiarism, and fanfiction.net banned her. Whoa. Um, And then she was, like... And here's the thing, like, she wasn't profiting off the Draco trilogy because it was a fanfic. Right. So, technically, she's not doing anything It's not actual plagiarism. Yeah. But, like, people are creating, like, as much as they're using the foundation of worlds that don't belong to them, they're creating totally new stories in these worlds. Fanfiction's cool, man. Yeah, it really is. But so when she was kind of outed as stealing a lot of her material, like, it was a big deal in the fanfiction realm. And then she ended up pulling the Draco trilogy from, like, everywhere it was listed. Then she starts writing The Mortal Instruments, and people who have read both say that the plots are very different, but the characterizations are the same. So there's, like, chunks of backstory and dialogue specifically for for, like, Draco Malfoy, mm-hmm. that are completely lifted and just placed on Jace, the main sexy guy in the Mortal Instruments. Right, but is any of that, like, lifted from Buffy or no. something? Okay, well. So she's, like, plagiarizing herself, which is fine. But people are just like, you didn't write a new book, though. You just took this guy. And then it's other things, like, um, in Harry Potter, people who aren't magical are called, like, muggles. But then in the Mortal Instruments, like, people who aren't magical are called mundanes. They're, Huggles. <laughs> they're mundane now. Again, I just, I can't deal. First, <laughs> not going with Barry Styles, And now this. I just, I'm disappointed in people. I know. So now she just keeps getting like multi-million dollar book deals. Multi-dollar book deals. Multi-dollar. Multi-million dollar book deals. Movie deals. There's a TV show now because the movies didn't do that well. Fuck me up. And it's like really about Draco Malfoy and Ginny Weasley. Like it's weird. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it either. And the other thing is, like, I read one, like, opinion article from a girl, and she was like, you took, like, your fan fiction, you took the characters you kind of built from Draco Malfoy, and you made it this book. Fine. Cool. Not my favorite. Go for it. Then you were going to write more books, and I was like, oh, maybe this will be an interesting new thing. But she just keeps writing books in this universe she made based on Harry Potter with characters that keep looking like, like, this is just like Jace, but with brown hair. Like, Whoa. this is just, like, Clary, but she's a witch. And it's just, like, you just keep doing the same thing over and over, and all of that is based on Harry Potter. Well, I'm interested in, like, you know, so f- take, for example, a dumpster fire that you love and most love called Riverdale. Like, <laughs> Riverdale still has to pay royalties yeah. to Archie, I assume. Yes, absolutely it does. Because um, it's, 
lifting mm-hmm. original work. But I don't, Mortal Instruments probably doesn't. No, it totally does not. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a really weird... And I wonder, did Fifty Shades have to do anything with Twilight? I'm going to talk about that in a second. Let's talk about that. Let's Sorry to bury the lead. No, that's okay. We it, we very naturally come to the Mac Daddy, Fifty it's Shades time. of Grey. It's time. So I've read the Fifty Shades series. I've read it aloud to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not good. We used to make our <laughs> British roommate read it to us. <laughs> or we used to make her just listen as we read it. <laughs> um, and it famously started its life as a fan fiction of Twilight. Um, something that I just find funny that I like to say is that E.L. James does not like to talk about it. And in interviews, when people ask her, she'll be like, yeah, writing fan fiction really inspired me to, like, become a better writer. And then I wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, she kind of erases the fact that yep. she wrote a fan fiction and then changed the names. And that is Fifty Shades of Grey. She tries to be like, yes, fan fiction helped my writing. Then I stopped writing fan fiction, and here's Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, that's not what happened, bitch. You just changed out Edward with Christian Grey. Yes, exactly. Um, so I just find that very funny. Her fan fiction was called Master of the Universe, uh, and her fan fiction name uh, was Snow Queen Ice Dragon, which I just like to remember. I love, I love the names. That's <laughs> my favorite names. thing. I wish I could find Cassandra Clare's. Um, but I, I love Snow Queen Ice Dragon more than almost anything. So it's just like, if you read it and you know it's Twilight fanfiction, a lot of it is just like, yeah, that's Twilight fanfiction. Specifically, I'm thinking about Christian siblings are all like adopted and hot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why would you do this if it wasn't just Edward and his adopted siblings? Like, exactly. why would you? You could have just made them biological, but no. You already made it Edward Cullen. Oh boy. So... This series, total cash cow for E.L. James. And because of that, I want to take a moment to talk about Stephanie Meyer. Let's do that. So Stephanie Meyer wrote the Twilight series. And she got a lot of hate for writing a series of books that it became cool to dislike. Mm-hmm. Like, around, like, 2010, it was just so popular to hate on Twilight and say it was stupid. Yeah, it always kind of bothered me. Yeah. Criticizing, like maybe some of the inappropriate power mm-hmm. dynamics in Twilight. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But people who are just like, it's like a stupid girl <laughs> book that stupid girls read. It's not literature. I remember yeah. I had a girl say that to me. She's like, that's not literature. And I'm like, you are 15. <laughs> You're too young to be that cold and pretentious. Yeah, absolutely. I really recommend, um, there's this woman who does video essays on YouTube called Lindsay Ellis, who I love. And she does one called Dear Stephanie Meyer, where she talks about kind of, like, the cultural backlash. Ooh, I, that's right up my alley. Oh, it's really good. It's right up your... Uh, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I love it when you do that. Um, so, like, she's gotten a lot of hate, and she has always actually been pretty cool about fanfiction. Like, some authors hate fanfiction. Um, Anne Rice, who wrote Interview with a Vampire, like, takes legal action against anyone who writes fanfiction. Whoa. Um, and um, J.K. Rowling doesn't like it either. Like, she's had some weird sentiment- sentiments about, like, we'll just write your own books. And I'm like, well, I want to write a book where, you know, Harry is a twin. Just let me. Like, yeah, it's like, if I'm not making money off of it, who cares? Exactly. You know what I mean? So Stephanie was always cool about it. And then this all happened. And she would be totally within her right to litigate this because Twilight is her intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Snow Queen Ice Dragon, a.k.a. E.L. James, like, wrote a book that was Twilight fanfiction. And then, like, when it became Fifty Shades, someone put it through plagiarism software, and it is 89% exactly the same as Master of the Universe. Like, she changed very little of it. Right. She changed the names, you know? So Stephanie Meyer would be very much within her rights to 
sue E.L. James. Mm -hmm. And she never has. She's always just left it. And the only sentiment she's ever really, like, said was, like, it's muddy. It's a little smutty for my taste. That's so classy. Yeah. She's Mormon after all. Well, so, and that's something else. She's Mormon. She does not like that stuff. So I could yeah. see her being like, hey, this is against my beliefs. That's fair enough. It's that like, you're they're taking my characters. My characters. Yeah. Exactly. But she totally hasn't. She has been chill as hell. And E.L. James has made a bajillion dollars. Then we get to, do you, were you a big enough Twilight fan back in the day that you've heard of Midnight Sun? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Midnight Sun, for those of you who don't know, was... This was a huge thing. This um, was a huge thing. I yeah. remember this. Stephanie Meyer was writing a version of Twilight from Edward's perspective that was going to be called Midnight Sun. And then a copy of it got leaked online, like a draft. And she was so disheartened about it, it broke her heart. And she released her draft that was like the first hundred pages or something. And she was like, maybe I'll come back to Midnight Sun someday. But I just feel so heartbroken. She, in 2015... Um, started writing Midnight Sun again. She finally, like, sat down and wrote a few paragraphs and was, like, feeling so good and proud of herself. And the next day, the top of, like, all the news stories was E.L. James is writing Grey, which is Fifty Shades of Grey, but from a Christian's perspective. And she called it, quote, a literal flip the table moment. And she put Midnight Sun back down and hasn't touched it since. That is wild. So E.L. James is literally not only taking, like, the concepts and world that Stephanie Meyer created to build Fifty Shades of Grey, she's now taking, like, the business idea of, oh, I'll write a version of it, but from my male character's perspective, and is doing it for all three books, and she's just going to make a mint on doing that. Well, Stephanie Meyer is like, now I feel like I can't. Sweet Stephanie. I never thought I'd be defending her. Me neither. Though, did you know any of the tea that happened with Midnight Sun? I knew that it was a friend of hers somehow who leaked it. Some people thought that that was a marketing gimmick. (gasps) Interesting. Some people thought that she had always meant to just release the first first chapter or so. And to drum up excitement about that and keep riding the Twilight wave. She said, because no, I mean, there's no, it doesn't go back to anyone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it could have just been leaked on purpose and then she had put it up and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's also like, it it sounds more like a marketing ploy just because would that really stop you from writing a book if you had your heart set on writing a book and getting paid, like you had been paid by a publisher you get paid in advance to write yeah. a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you don't do it, like, you know, mm-hmm. you don't get paid the rest of your money. Mm-hmm. So I, we were always, we, I guess the world, <laughs> were always like, interesting. Interesting. I just got the impression that she was like a sensitive Sally. <laughs> Could be either. We don't I know. I guess we'll never know. But what I do know is E.L. James has a bajillion dollars. She does. Which makes me sad sometimes. Yeah. So Even those, though we watched all the movies. Oh, yeah. And read all the books. Yep. I did read illegal copies of the books, so I did not give her money in that way. <laughs> and we wouldn't. Um, but, I mean, I did see the movies, so there you go. Um, so, I mean, the horrifying thing about all these scenarios to me is that this is kind of people, like, profiting off the IP of others. But then again, it's like, here's where I feel complicated. It's like, everything's derivative at this point. Like, everything's yes, been absolutely. done. Who are we to, like, be policing this stuff? And I like fan fiction, and I think it's nice that, like, the, it really is the way that a lot of people get into writing, is, mm-hmm. like, 
great, the Harry Potter world, but everyone's also a werewolf. Like, yes, go for it. Yeah. Live your dreams. But, like, this is just, once it goes into, like, okay, I've changed the first name of Harry Styles to Harden Scott, and I'm making a bajillion dollars in a movie, I don't know. I'm also curious, um, and I guess it's kind of easy to say, you know, like, not when the writer's alive. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have uh, things like public domain. But I'm kind of curious, when something enters the zeitgeist of the universe in such a way like where does the idea of allegory come into play like Mm -hmm. people don't get angry when there is allegory to greek mythology or biblical imagery or even pop culture things in certain certain kind of ways and harry potter something like harry potter is a religion like harry potter defined literature for our childhoods absolutely it raised thousands millions of kids yeah and that's now a cornerstone of storytelling for people mm-hmm. and things are going to come out of that yeah do you know what i mean absolutely um <clears throat> so i'm kind of curious like where is the line and i yeah. think in some ways it's like well there is legal lines there's public domain there's copyright yeah. there's character infringement like there's yeah. all that stuff and in these three but cases, it's curious it inducing oh yeah in these three cases all of these stories started very clearly as fan fiction yeah like, they were posted to fanfiction websites as fanfiction. Yeah. And I do, I think you're absolutely right that in, like, another generation of writers, it's going to be a lot of people who are, like, writing a story about a magical world and an orphan kid, and they're like, yeah. I loved Harry Potter growing up, and it's like, okay, is that okay? Because it's it a reimagining. Didn't, it didn't yeah. technically start as fanfiction. And it's like, is every fantasy band journey the yeah. Lord of the Rings? Like, yeah. in a way, yeah. And in a way, no. Um, It's it's hard. It's but very complicated. It's interesting. So that's what I'm horrified both by complicated things and uh, by the fact that they're not naming him Barry Styles. The, the <laughs> latter infuriates me a, a teensy bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, wow, what a what a crazy journey! I know. I like to take you guys into niche uh, literature, so let's I have, do it. Like psychological whiplash right now from the two things that we just <laughs> talked about. Like honestly, I don't think they could have been more different. Um, I don't think we've ever done an episode where it's, like, so different. Yeah, there's nothing that bonds these two together. We don't have anything. Except that we were both horrified the whole time. Ah, that's true. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think for the next whole week, I'm pretty sure you're going to stay horrified. Stay horrified! Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show.